Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. I'm Carl McKeever, and on this episode of In Focus, we're talking customer loyalty. My guests today are Gusto Chief Marketing Officer Tom Wallace and Inkpact founder and CEO Charlotte Pierce. Tom joined Gusto as part of the leadership team in 2016, steering the company from a startup to a profitable billion dollar unicorn. He is responsible for all marketing activity from brand building and creative output to performance marketing, retention, customer service, and has overseen a 20 times revenue growth during his tenure. Charlotte is a multi-award winning tech entrepreneur and speaks passionately about the importance of humanness within business to create memorable connections with customers. She's also the founder and CEO of Inkpact, an online platform that lets brands connect with their customers through thoughtful, handwritten, personalized notes and gifts. In a world and sea of digital noise that seems to be evolving at an ever-increasing pace, they share their thoughts on the importance of taking time to foster loyal and lasting customer relationships. Maybe it's time for retailers and brands to slow things down a bit and to reconsider how they connect, engage and retain their valued customers. But what are the challenges, the twists and the lessons for success? This is The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast, and we're going to find out. Here's the episode. I'd like to begin by asking about the subscription model. How sustainable is the growth that we've seen? I think it's extremely sustainable and something that we've experienced in uh, the data that we've seen over the last few years. Um, Of course, uh, we were growing rapidly before the pandemic. Uh, A meal kit solution like Gusto is something that uh, certainly benefited from it. Um, And as we're coming out of it into recent months, we're still seeing sustained growth uh, at at rates that are uh, are working very well. So it's it's evidenced in our own performance that uh, it's a sustainable model. And the pandemic clearly meant a lot of people were forced to no longer dine out. Uh, People were cooking from home. So presumably you saw a massive uh, spike there in terms of new subscribers and people who wanted to try you out for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 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 An enormous spike that drove our business's behaviour for two years around increasing capacity, dealing with that additional volume. And it it was uh, exciting and a real race to, to keep up with that demand. And of course, as people are returning to uh, eating out, which I'm, I'm very happy about, I think people should enjoy that. Uh, we're seeing behaviors return to uh, similar levels to what they were before, but with an increased awareness of meal kits themselves, uh, increased propensity to buy food online. So it's been probably about double or more of what it was back in 2019 uh, that have all continued to benefit businesses like ours. In some of the retail businesses that did very well during the pandemic, We've seen recent sales figures demonstrating perhaps that people were so caught up in the moment of fulfilling those sales. Now consumers' behaviour is going back to somewhat of a more of a balanced mix, is that they've been caught off guard. And that growth for them is not proving to be sustainable, or they haven't been agile enough to be looking ahead and saying, what are we doing post-pandemic? From Gusto's perspective, what are you doing to hedge or mitigate against that loss where people are going back to the restaurants? Um, So the first thing I'll say is, in terms of our ability to see it and anticipate it, like everyone, we know we do our best to predict, but we can never be sure it's always an educated guess in some ways. But we do benefit from very, very real-time data and signals 
that gave us the information about those trends you know, fairly quickly. So uh, our you know, biggest time of year is always January, where, of course, last January 2021, uh, things were very different than they were in this year. We were able to see um, literally on New Year's Day, uh, you know, in the first hours of the morning, what the year was going to be like, because that gives a big indication as to how strongly consumers are going to come back into the new year. And we we're able to take steps to respond to changes in demand um, on the 2nd of January. Um, so doing it very, very quickly has been really, really helpful and seeing signals really, really uh, early um, has allowed us to ensure that we are adapting our investments, um, planning our capacity as efficiently as possible. And I suppose the big question is, is saturation a sustainable route to subscription? And what are the alternatives? I think there's a lot of headroom left in it, really. You know, we look at the number of uh, people who have ever tried uh, a meal kit or Gusto, it's, it's in the sort of low tens of percent of the, of the UK. Uh, and as we know, everybody eats and everybody loves food, pretty much. Uh, so um, we're, we're nowhere near that. And uh, as long as people continue to gain benefit from things like a subscription, convenience is one thing, a choice is another thing. Um, and you know, the predictability of it means that we're able to you know, plow those sort of efficiency savings back into uh, building a better product and, and consumers recognize that. So uh, I think there's a lot of growth and sustainability still ahead. For, for all brands, one of the things people want to try and avoid is the churn of customers. You know, people that try you once and maybe then are seduced by another brand to come for an opening offer or to, to try them next time. How do you try and prevent that loss of customers? You know, early on, we, 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 we tried to sort of step away from the the word prevent almost because it feels like you're sort of holding people hostage um, but it's more trying to make it as Im impossible for people to want to to leave as, as we can so understanding what are all the barriers uh, to people continuing to purchase so you know fixing the basics essentially you know, that be making sure it's delivered to them on time in full um, high quality reasonable price as well not, not necessarily the cheapest so really in a sense almost really working the satisfaction yeah absolutely yeah yeah customer satisfaction is our number one uh, driver uh, so we measure nps um, every week uh, and use that as our north star metric for customer satisfaction and every time someone is not highly satisfied we want to know why and that becomes another data point to feed into our strategies and plans and tactics for the you know, for the coming year and coming years. How do we overcome all those reasons why people would say this is not for me? And Charlotte, you're very much in the business of customer loyalty. What do you think brands need to be doing to really think differently about loyalty? And as Tom said, not necessarily trying to almost force people into staying, but encourage them into staying and, and yeah. give them all the reasons why it's better to be with that brand rather than another. Yeah, I think first of all, what Tom said about covering the basics is just 101. Brands need to be doing that. But on top of that, we try and help all of our clients get these raving fans that will just love and want to stay with the brand because of the whole experience. So I always talk about this a bit like dating, like if you do what you did at the beginning of a relationship, halfway through and at the end, there won't be an end. So we really help our clients just treat their customers like the valued customers they are all the way across that journey. And it's using those clever data points of things that you know and things that you know about them and where they are in that customer life cycle. Just like you would a friend or a family member or you know, mention different things and, and point things out to them. So I think for us, what we see in our clients are 
during the pandemic people have shifted their behavior and it's so easy to switch to somebody else or something else actually the brands that have gone the extra mile for their customers and the ones that their customers feel really loyal to and sometimes that is literally just doing it right a simple thank you and just helping and giving them advice on other parts of their life too so it's really treating them like individuals but as part of the collective of their customers and loyalty is one of those things which you know is, is easily talked about but it's very hard one what do you think are some of the secrets to success to getting it right yeah i think loyalty used to be a card right that you got stamps on and uh you did it at supermarkets and i think that world is is definitely kind of passing behind us it's really about the extra value that brands can add so a brand that we work with and we love is sweaty betty and they absolutely nail their loyalty like customers rave about them they do the unscalable and manage to scale it in terms of working with their with their customers and i really think the future is actually going back to that a little bit like the way they link their stores to online and the communities and the running clubs and the extra value that they offer that's where their customers are so loyal not just the products they sell so i think it's really looking at who your customer is what do they do what are their needs and how can that brand be a part of their life and if you can get to be a part of their life your stickiness is there so i think loyalty is really more than just those points or rewards or discounts it's actually making them feel like an extended part of your business and of course Tom the business case around loyalty is very clear the cost of customer acquisition is just growing year on year and of course losing customers is costly so from Augusto's perspective what are some of the kind of the, the treats the benefits the perks that you offer to customers to, to keep them on board for us trying to do it in such a way that is low cost um, is really really effective so lots and lots of brands want the ability to get their product out into, into people's homes. So uh, quite recently, we did a partnership with Aperol, um, timely this time of yeah. year. Uh, so you know, thousands of uh, sample bottles of Aperol into people's boxes. We also like to do things that tie up quite well with our own range, our own menu. So recently did another partnership with Gypsy Hill Brewing Company as part of our uh, summer smokehouse range. So things that make people feel engaged with both you know, the reward for the, for the sake of something new and, and exciting, but also that brings them closer to the brand itself by having some tangible link with what it is that we are also offering. And how important is personalization here? Because, you know, speaking from a personal perspective, I know when I've been introduced to new products before and sometimes, you know, these, these free gifts come through the post or, or whatever, and they have absolutely no relevance at all to, to my life or my lifestyle. And I think, what on earth has I received this for? How do you over overcomes such basic errors Charlotte mm. so just like if you go see one website you'll see different items than I would go and see that using that data is absolutely key so knowing your spending patterns knowing your spending history using triggers so if someone like me like I've had a child relatively recently you'll have seen my spending habits change on certain websites actually using that and using that moment in time or um, my behavior change and then offering me something that I actually really want or something of added value in my life so just like we'd personalize a page actually what we help brands do is personalize that offline so making sure that only someone with that drinks alcohol gets the alcoholic gift making sure somebody that eats chocolate has the chocolate gift so my classic really... fail is i'm a customer of a large uk department store who yeah. regularly send me vouchers and loyalty bonuses through the post and it's titled up with my name and of course every image on the page is all about women's clothing yeah. it's completely irrelevant yeah I know, and there's this weird thing. So we are really looking to help brands 
revolutionized print and obviously what we do is handwritten notes but trying to bring it into today like why do i get the same brochure as you and you tom if we shop somewhere and actually our shopping behavior will be very different i think there's a long way to go in terms of personalizing direct mail that we actually want um, and if we keep doing it how we've always done it it's not going to work anymore so there's a really key area we did this amazing campaign recently with a pet insurance brand and we sent dog treats with the face of the exact dog on it and the first thing that owners do they take a picture they put it on social media they love the gift they love the connection they're ready i want to it. be part of this program <laughs> it was so cute our social media was full of the cutest dogs for like months um and it is just you know it just felt oh my gosh you know me and my dog and you know their name and of course they know their name you filled out the insurance form but it's they linked it in a really lovely way to send it yeah gift. and of course by the time that that nice thing has come all the functional stuff is long gone and yes. what way in the past exactly and it's moments like that that you remember and shout about to everyone else whether it's social media or you tell people kind it's of, feel good yeah exactly and it's memorable and they remember it for years to come and whether it's you know a moment at home with the family cooking or something that you can link to their life i think that's what the future of customer loyalty is really about Tom, how important is personalisation to you guys at Gusto? It's absolutely key. So especially with the convenience aspects and the choice aspect of the huge range of meals that we've got, you can become overwhelmed by that choice, especially if you're, like you say, if you've got particular dietary needs or, or, or something that you, 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 you don't want to eat. Um, if we continue to show that to you, you would start to find it you know, a little bit more difficult to choose, take a little bit longer and potentially you know, just drop out. So being able to almost automate your picking decision for you and present you in, in sort of a, in the, in the best case, the, the four meals that you would have chosen yourself, they come up and they've chosen for you. So you um, actually try to be intuitive for the customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So of course, um, being a, a D to C business, we've got all of the data about how you have picked recipes in the past. And after you've picked a few, we get a, a trend of what it is that you like and don't like. So that out of the over 60 recipes we have today, we can recommend say 15 of them to make your choosing decision easier. And it's working as well. You can measure the effectiveness of that. So every week we look at, or the team that, you know, that builds that um, personalization tool, will look at the success rate of how many people did actually pick mm. from the list that we recommended and they want that number to go up. That's their goal. And I guess famously, one of the challenges here is we're, we're time poor. And of course, that's what Gusto is all about, is trying to make things easy. Uh, but inevitably, we get kind of caught into the humdrum of repeat, repeat, repeat. It's shepherd's pie on a Wednesday you mm. know, type scenario. How do you overcome that? Do you still throw out some wild cards to Ab people? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, um, one of the dangers of letting a machine do it all is that, it, you know, it will follow rules in some way. Um, and those things can have sort of unintended consequences. We do throw in uh, and we design it so that it throws in, like you say, wild cards to help make sure that we're expanding people's recipes and also letting the tool, give it, giving it more points of data at which it can, which it can learn from. Now, Gusto is a brand which has got some terrifically high-profile advertising on the TV. That's one way of kind of getting customers hooked into the brand. But, you know, thinking about first principles, how is that evolving in terms of the subscription marketing approach? How are you reaching people to kind of get them hooked into the product, into the brand first off? Yeah, so you know, it being a subscription, we know that many people start with that principle of I, I don't want to be locked into something. So 
being very clear in communicating to people that it's not a subscription in the traditional sense of, you know, you are locked in, you can pause or cancel any time. It's there for your convenience. It's there. So overcoming some of the potential pain points. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, over many years of doing this, myself and the team testing and optimizing messaging every week, every month. Small changes on the homepage, which is where people are at the point of making their decision. Do we elevate this message? Do we remove that message? How prominently do we put this in there uh, to get the best balance between um, ensuring that people convert and uh, making sure that they go in with the right information and, and don't sort of drop out. Testing and learning is really, really big for us in terms of messaging uh, and conversion and ultimately retention. So we don't just measure, like you say, getting people through the door. We measure, are they still there four weeks later, three months later and so on. And of course, Charlotte, you're involved almost at the opposite end of that um, trail, aren't you? When the customer has purchased and are in, already in receipt of the goods. And tell us how Inkpact works with brands here. Yeah, so we've, you know, after working with brands for the last seven years, there's this crucial touch point at every brand. So we work with some subscription businesses, food, beauty and, and healthcare. And the churn rate is so high a lot of the times because there is a discount on the way in. So it's our job to get them to really care and love that brand before they have that opportunity to churn. So we trigger handwritten notes at different points of that journey. Yes. Handwritten, handwritten Yes, exactly. Wow. So we have a thousand people in the UK, US, across the world who genuinely handwrite notes on behalf of brands so we work with brands from the likes of John Lewis to Tiffany to Sweaty Betty, Brewdog and kind of many more um, and we've just know that the power of a handwritten note is so impactful but you can't do it at scale until now. And, and so, this is what this is a thank you we hope you're enjoying your purchase. Yeah or? so it, it varies depending on what the call to action needs to be some brands just say thank you um, and then it's a part of their loyalty journey and they track what happens to that customer over time. Other brands, particularly our subscription brands, they'll know there'll be a drop off between box two and three or four and five or a five and six and they will just thank their customers potentially offering them an extra gift or an extra item. And it's all triggered the same way you'd segment your customers to send emails, segment your customers to send any other form of marketing. It works the same way. It's just actually physically, obviously, sent through the post and super personalized. So, you know, it might be, uh, dear Charlotte, thanks for ordering your third box from Gusto. You know, it's great to have you here. Really hope you enjoyed that chicken tikka masala last week. And um, we also think you might actually like a new street food we've got up and coming and actually like recommend things. So we recently did this great campaign with Deliver where we just took people back to the first ever delivery they ever ordered and was like hey do you remember it was five years ago on Tottenham Court Road Pizza Express that through the post obviously makes people feel special they put it on their fridge they put it on their mantelpiece stays around a lot longer than email so it's partly the psychology of you just thanked a customer those basic 101 that sometimes brands forget but secondly that it's delivered in a really personal human thoughtful way and for us we have a thousand scribes that we love um, you know that are sometimes in difficult parts of life there might be recovery covering from illness or a single parent and things like that. So uh, we love the, yeah, all of that. As a shopper who's regularly in store and also online, I can't think of that many times where these days I actually get thanked for my purchase. Yeah. You know, generally when you're standing at the, the register, you know, you're lucky if you even get an acknowledgement, yeah. never, never mind a, a thank you for your, for your customer. Yeah, and it's so important. It's those little things. Just We are human beings. We like to be acknowledged. We like to be thanked. We gave a brand our hard-earned cash and sometimes brands really forget that and that can do a lot monetary for them as well. Like they will go on and shop and spend more with you. We've got, you know, hundreds of case studies now to prove that that little touch goes a long way for that customer lifetime value. 
And, and how do you avoid perhaps some of the cynicism that some people might say around that? They say, oh, it's just, it's just a programme and I'm not that important at all. Yeah, so our handwritten notes, you can tell they're written by real people. But what I also love is we encourage our brands at the moment to write on the bottom. So it's written words by James, handwritten by a mother in Yorkshire. And it shows the brands also care because they got a mother in Yorkshire to write the card. Of course, James from Brewdog can't send hundreds of thousands of notes themselves. So it adds to that community element of life as well. So we really try and get it. But we've, you know, we've come across over the years printed handwriting and politicians used to do this really badly years ago where these are photocopy things people are very skeptical so that's why we will and always will use real people um, and then you know the brands showcase the csr and the social impact they have as well so it's kind of we try to make everything win 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 uh, for the planet as well this episode is brought to you by Inkpact, humanizing brands through handwritten notes retailers are frustrated that after all the time and money they spend on their marketing, it risks getting lost in the noise. They're frustrated by customers spending with competitors after all their hard work, and they're overwhelmed by the cost and complexity of identifying the channels which really work. This sound familiar? Inkpact helps brands build real relationships, increase their customer lifetime value, and engage customers at scale through the power of handwritten notes. With Inkpact, you can create scalable, effective, personal marketing that connects your brands with customers, one genuinely handwritten, personalized note at a time. With a 99% open rate, Inkpact stands out from the noise. It's why Inkpact is loved by brands like John Lewis, Brewdog, Sweaty Betty, Me and M, and their customers. Discover how Inkpact can become an essential part of your marketing mix. Visit inkpact.com to learn more and to order your sample note card. Inkpact. Real. Human. Connection. These days, the customer in every sector is much more aware. Um, people have a, a strong sense of intuition, perhaps, around brands. How much importance do you attach, Tom, to the whole aspect of you know, listening and evolving your offer and your responses, I guess, in terms of the way that the customer is thinking? It's got to be at number one, really. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, net promoter score and people's satisfaction with the product and likely to recommend it is our North Star metric about what it is that we're trying to do. As a, as a business, as a leadership team, we're not motivated by you know, growing the company and trying to sell it and so on. It, it, we're motivated by making a difference to you know, people and the planet. Um, so interacting with people, understanding what it is that they want, uh, making sure that we're building something better for them is the driver for me and the rest of the team. Um, so it's, it's hugely important. And as a marketer, you're building something for customers and you have to be able to listen to them, you have to empathize with them, you have to know them, uh, what it is that motivates them, what it is that they uh, want more of, want less of. Um, so it, it drives everything for us. And of course, none of us as a customer are a fixed point in time. You know, our own lives and our lifestyles are continually evolving. Right now, there's pressure on the cost of living and people are having to make some different choices about what they might buy. How, Gusto, would you respond to challenges that we're facing right now? So ultimately, it's a product that helps them spend time where they want to spend time. Uh, so uh, by shortening the, you know, the, the cooking and the choosing and the shopping process, people are able to, to use the, the time that they save in, in other ways. So um, we want to you know, continue to be part, part of people's lives in the way that they can 
uh, build it into their lifestyle and keep cooking and cooking from scratch and staying healthy. You know, it's, it's quite easy at, at some points to to revert to old habits of perhaps eating less healthily, but but health remains the number one priority for many, many people. So responsiveness is key, really, in terms of how you keep and retain you know, happy customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So real-time feedback, very, very important. Um, we're lucky that we get that all the time. So uh, uh, surveys come back very, very quickly. And of course, given that people are interacting directly with our website and our app, um, the data from that is available pretty much instantly as well. And Charlotte, you're in the, the nice place, I guess, around making customers feel happy. You know, what are, what are some of the secrets to success there? How do, you, how do you create these little day brighteners? I think it's, it's really just creating these unexpected moments with a customer that they're going to rave about and using the data or the knowledge you have on them or creating your own just moment to celebrate. So particularly during the pandemic, we saw that people just wanted a way to connect with other people, right? We were all isolated, we were all kind of stuck inside and we just found that people's responsiveness to just a caring message or a small gift or I've thought about you today. So I'll go back to my dating point, which is when you're dating someone, you do those random spontaneous things. And I was talking to a brand the other day, a really kind of big online white goods retailer. This brand came to us and said, I just want to surprise and delight anyone. Doesn't matter if they've brought the cheapest thing on our website or the most expensive. We we want to put a budget aside just to thank anyone who spent their money with us and what we love about it is it's not just to top customers it's to customers that just spend their money with your brand so like really really simple things a card goes a long way a simple thank you goes a long way and, and brands generally don't do christmas and birthdays very well so if you think about what you would do with your romantic partner or your family or your mom or your dad you'd congratulate them when they moved house you'd congratulate them when they had a baby you'd thank them when they did something nice for you the same things apply but brands necessarily aren't wired that way or aren't able to do it at scale. So one, we help them do that, but two, we help them think back to those basics of a relationship and try and help brands do that at scale. So little golden moments that really yes. kind of lift the heart and spirit. Yes, exactly. And just put a smile on people's face. Tom, data is at the heart of all big companies these days, and there's certainly brands which are uh, on that DTC model. How are you at Gusto delivering an ultra personalized experience where you really are using the data to connect very ably and nimbly with the customer? In lots of ways, a great question. Uh, as we said, you know, data is at the heart of everything that we do at Gusto. I guess there's two sides to it. One side is the customer facing side. I've mentioned personalization, I've mentioned uh, ensuring that we use people's you know, behaviors to recommend them the types of meals that we want, but also you know, it's a physical business, an operational side to it as a back end, which if we weren't using data to effectively optimize the, the, the factory picking processes, the labor, the, the food or you know, the, the ordering of the materials to reduce waste, we wouldn't be able to offer, offer those customer benefits in the first place. So that's really, really important, just as important, actually. So all the practicalities around use by dates, uh, fresh, fresh produce that's going to age. More than that. So um, picking individual ingredients uh, in for 60 recipes when each recipe has about 12 or 14 different ingredients creates millions and millions of combinations and if you just try to do that by hand almost randomly you're not going to, be able to do it very very quickly so in growing the company and expanding the number of recipes that we offer we've spent a lot of time investing into people data scientists and so on and technology allows us to use that to uh, 
efficiently optimize the way that the meals and the sort of ingredients go through the factory so that we can do it quickly. We can you know, pick thousands and thousands of boxes uh, every single day and get them out with all the different combinations of recipes uh, to customers. So that's been really, really important. Because presumably managing waste is just as important for you as, as developing new customers because one could harm the other. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we're a certified B Corp. Sustainability is really important to us. And one of the, uh, the benefits of a product like ours is the reduction in food waste, which is obviously a massive problem in the world. Um, you know, 20% of food is wasted in customers' homes. Maybe 20% more is, is wasted in traditional uh, supply chain and retail with us effectively nothing's wasted in people's homes because we give people the right amount. And in the factory, because we're able to predict what people are going to buy, and also because it's a subscription, it does have some element of predictability to it, um, we're able to place orders for materials in such a way that the, the, the waste that we get you know, at, the, at the factory and the operation and supply chain is very, very low. Uh, both of you are gathering data in different ways about customers and using data to inform your communications. How do you think the landscape is evolving from the customer's perspective around some of their concerns or sensitivities here? You know, we've seen the big scandals and some of the big platforms around social media where data is being shared and sold and you know, my details are no longer private. How, how important do you think it is in this whole, I guess, creating trust? That's what all brands try to do, is protecting my data, using my data for you know, legitimate purpose. I think making sure you're using the data um, in a way that's useful to the customer. So, you know, if you're getting your customer segmentation right, if you're getting the messaging to them right, and they're finding that useful or helpful to choose their recipes or for inspiration, then I think it never bugs anyone. When you suddenly got something that really bugs you, and like you mentioned earlier, this is just wrong for me, then you start to go, well, why are you sending me this crap? And that's when you start to question, well, what else have they got on their data? So if brands are doing segmentation correctly and giving you the right information at the right time, not too much of it, not too little of it, and they're nailing that, then I think you question it more. We just So you only become aware of this problem yes, when the if, problem presents. Exactly, yes. So I think people only kick up about the fact there's data if there has been a data breach or they're just getting over spammed or they're getting the wrong information and it bugs them. I think we're aware now, we've changed as humans, we go actually we know that data is there and being used by brands, but it's only when you know, it gets used in the wrong way or overdone that we start to question it. So I think it's that trust element of if you use my data correctly and you're using it to inform my shopping behavior, I'm okay with that because you're being helpful. But the moment you get it wrong, actually that's when I start to look at where is my data, how is it being used, etc. So I think if brands are just honest and true with that, then actually, you know, customers respond to that. So I think it's just, yeah, be, being honest and being open, but actually just using data properly and true, really. And Tom, how, how about for you? Um, I, I totally agree with what Charlotte's saying. Um, I often think of Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park when he says, um, just because you, you can doesn't mean that you should. When you have an abundance of data, there is sometimes a temptation to use it in all different ways to personalize and to communicate with customers. And if it gets to the point of being maybe a little bit intrusive, or if it gets too much, you know, in terms of volume, you, don't, you, you, know, you want to scale it back a little bit from there, a lot from there, I would say. I made a purchase with the greetings cards company, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> within the last two weeks, and I've received something like 14 emails asking me to either rate the product, like the product, feedback on the product. The net result of that, unsubscribe. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we, you know, we're very careful with that, and. It's difficult, you know, this is why people do it, because it's not easy and they probably have you know, uh, less uh, mature systems or processes and so on. But 
being able to measure you know, frequency of contact, unsubscribe rates, work out what your optimum level is uh, for frequency versus unsubscribe is, is, is something that helps, and it, but it's not easy. Uh, so, but, yeah. I think if you're a brand looking holistically at your customers and you already have that relationship where they trust you and you trust them, then you're more likely to get the reviews, you're more likely to get them to recommend a friend, all the things that these like emails are asking you to do. And actually with brands like your Sweaty Betty's, they're very happy to try new products, to rate them, to review them because they're already so loyal. So if a brand can look holistically going, how do I just get customers to be really loyal? And then it's like a two-way relationship. I've, you know, they've got lots of value from you, so they don't mind giving you some back. But if you haven't got that two-way relationship, you're never going to get the feedback. You're never going to get the trust pilot reviews or whatever it is. So I think that sometimes brands have to zoom out a little bit and go, I'm asking for this, but I haven't given anything. So what am I giving to my customers? And then I can ask for something. If they're not even thinking of that exchange, then their customers are never going to, to give back. I always think of one of the things here, which is such a paradox in many ways, you know, kind of customers are very aware that they need to think about, you know, what they disclose and the data that they give, etc. Yet for many of us, we just happily click terms and conditions. Yeah. No one ever reads. But of course, if you do, you know, you're sometimes presented with copious amounts of stuff and you think, oh, I don't understand half of this anyway. How, how do you think we overcome that kind of almost that barrier between where the customer is, you know, nervous, but is excited at the same time. And is it about the companies just making the process transparent and, and trustworthy in the first place? Yeah, I, I suppose um, you know, one part of it is through legislation and the GDPR that came in, into uh, place a few years ago, obviously uh, works to create transparency and uh, limit the amount of data that's used by default. Um, so it's one side of that, but the other side of course is brand trust and ensuring that people feel as though you, know, you are going to use their data to benefit them. You're not going to use it for spamming them or, or you know, of course, selling it on. You, know, you can't do that without permission. But people want, people, you know, people want to um, purchase and stay with brands who they feel are responsible in all sorts of ways. And, and data, data use and data security and so on is part of a brand's responsibility. And I'm sure a topic which is only going to increase in people's awareness and minds over time. Charlotte, my final question is to you. We've been talking about meaningful moments, I think, um, where a brand will interact with the consumer, maybe the first time or maybe it's an ongoing basis. But how is super personalised communication going to be the way forward? I think like linking those key data moments, but choosing the right one. So brands do have to take this higher level approach, you go, what do I want this customer to feel at different parts of this journey? What do I want this customer to do at these parts of this journey? And how do I get them to really engage with the brand? And that's when you can use personalization in a way that's not intrusive. So I think it's not just doing, you know, when, when we had all this personalization to start with, everyone was just picking bits of data and kind of throwing it out there and everything was this quick fix. I think brands have to slow down a little bit. I've done this whole kind of research and talk about slow marketing being the way to grow and actually not these quick fixes always on uh, you know littering people's inboxes and things like that actually slowing down and taking time and i've seen customer lifetime value our brands are, are moving the time frame for actually that's not one to three months that's a year that's two years They're so being a bit at, more thoughtful yeah thoughtful over and measuring over slightly longer periods so yes we do know there's quick rois but actually the best thing for a brand is to keep a customer with you for years how do you do that and how can you use hyper personalization and data and meaningful moments in the right way to get that customer to stay with you 
you for years. As we've seen in the last couple of years, everything can be volatile, but if you've got that good base of a relationship, they will stay with you for that time. So it's kind of zooming out a little bit and looking at loyalty and, and the customer journey and trying to go, well, actually, how do I add so much value that they're going to stay with me for years to come? So think about this. loyalty more as a marathon than a sprint. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. I'd agree totally with Charlotte that um, looking at on a long-term basis is really, really important. Um, you can easily miss uh, the small shifts you see in customer sentiment in, you know, over the course of a month with things like uh, loyalty, activity. Um, and you can miss the impact that the activity that you do uh, on individuals has on their, you know, their, their network, their, their colleagues, and all the sort of building effects of that. So um, looking at over the long term uh, is, is, is hugely important. And having the, I guess, appetite <laughs> to use a... a a sort of cookery term, uh, amongst the business, amongst uh, senior leadership to trust um, that you can watch things over the long term and not always look for the short term result uh, is a big cultural part of uh, ensuring that you can grow sustainably um, with, with sort of loyalty activity. Thank you both very much. Uh, thank fascinating you. conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's all we have time for on this episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast. From me, Carl McKeever, goodbye and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>